Well, good morning. My name is Brent Hinkle. Uh, I know a lot of you. Uh, a lot of you I don't know. Uh, I had a chance, if you don't know, to uh, be the interim pastor at a former iteration of uh, this congregation before. And so some of you who have come along been a part of that. I had a chance to uh, be your pastor. But one of the great things in walking in is to be able to see lots of new faces, too. And uh, so I'm really, really glad to see what God is doing here uh, in the midst of Thrive. Uh, I come from uh, I live here in Tulsa, but um, I am the pastor at First Church of God in Bristow, and so they were kind enough to give me uh, the day off, and, and uh, so they're doing some good things, I believe, down in, in Bristow, but I'm really thankful to have an opportunity to come and just speak with you all. Although David did sit here and say, Brent, could you preach from Ephesians chapter 5? And I said yes, and then I looked at Ephesians chapter 5, and I thought, why did I say yes to that? Um, so you're going to get stuck a little bit uh, with me sharing about relationships and marriage. Uh, speaking of relationships and marriage, uh, my wife, uh, Kathy, is unable to be with us today. Uh, she is our children's church leader there at, uh, uh, in Bristow, and uh, instead of going through everything, trying to get somebody else to take her place, she decided to go on down. I have two sons. Uh, one is now doing some computer programming up in uh, Iowa, and then I have a uh, son who's a senior uh, at the University of Tulsa. And so uh, that's just a little bit about me, um, but I want to kind of take you back as we begin to kind of a beginning of my relationship with Kathy. Um, we both went to school on the East Coast. Uh, she was one year behind me, and so I still remember being a freshman and going through the year, not sure what, what, what freshman year head tends to be spinning, um, but I got to my sophomore year, got my feet on the ground, and all of a sudden, this really cute gal walks in uh, to uh, what we called Athletes in Action. It was an offshoot of a campus group called Campus Crusade for Christ, and um, so we began to kind of talk and get together, and then finally... I had the gumption in the spring of 1992 to ask her to go out. Now, I had no money, and she had no money. So this is what we did. We decided we would go to a cheap campus flick. It was so cheap, it was free. Uh, we went, and they had popcorn and soda and those kinds of things. Um, and it was awesome. It was one of those memorable first experiences. As we talk today, I want you to think about some memorable first experiences. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's a memorable first experience that you had in developing a friendship with somebody. But we're going to talk for a little bit about the memorable first experiences. Now, one other thing before I get going too far and get back to my story. Um, I ask questions, and when I ask questions, they're not rhetorical. Okay? They are meant for responses. So we were talking about firsts. I want you to think about some of the firsts, and we'll get to those in just a couple of minutes. But I went to this wonderful movie, and how many people have seen Lady and the Tramp? Okay? Uh, this is this awesome business uh, Disney movie, uh, obviously it was put out mostly for children, and in put, go, putting Lady in the Tramp, I went to Yale University, so you, you know you have all these, you know, uh, people who have, sometimes had brains, sometimes didn't, but uh, can you imagine a bunch of Yale students sitting there watching Lady and the Tramp? But that's what we were doing on that particular night, and then it got to this scene, and this was like the best scene ever for a first date. Would you watch? Uh-huh. 
tragedia speciale e mi ho nemmeno volte. Tony, don't you don't talk? He's a talker to me. Okay, he's a talker to you. You're the boss. Mamma mia, ma c'è una Now, here you are, the best spaghetti in the town. So I took my cue from that, uh, <laughs> from that movie, walked uh, Kathy back to her apartment that uh, she was staying in that particular night, and I got my first kiss from her. It lasted in like the millisecond range. She was just like... <laughs> now, I don't tell my kids I got a kiss on the first date, but... <laughs> But it, it, it happened, and it was, it was something that was wonderful. You, you who've been there before, you know, there's butterflies, and there's all these things that are going on in your stomach as all this is taking place. And I have to tell you, I've gotten a few other kisses along the way. Most of them don't come with all the butterflies like that anymore. Most of them now, they're nice, but they're just kind of part of a relationship. Today, we're going to talk about first, but more importantly, we're going to talk about how do we have good, solid relationships. Because relationships are not just built on a first kiss or a first conversation. Relationships are meant to last the long haul. And they're going to take joy... But they're going to take effort. They're going to take pain. There's going to be some failing in every single relationship that we have. And they're going to take some kinds of love that don't have anything to do with butterflies in the stomach. Real relationships take all of those things, and it's ultimately what God wants for us. Again, both in the relationship of marriage, but in other kinds of relationships that we have as well. And one last thing that every good relationship takes. Submission. You know, our culture would hear that and they'd be like, no, it doesn't take submission. It takes you getting exactly what you want. No, it doesn't. It takes you being willing to submit to the other person. If you have your Bibles, please take them out. Before we get to Ephesians, we're going to start off today in Genesis chapter 2. 
And we're going to read from this creation story. And as we read from Genesis chapter 2 and the creation story, I want us to think about what is happening at this particular time in Genesis chapter 2. We'll be picking up in verse 19. What's going on at this particular point in the story is that God has created Adam. And he wanted to have a suitable helper for him. And Adam goes and he names all these animals and he looks around and there's no suitable helper at this particular point in time. And so God said, well, I can make a suitable helper. And so as we think about Genesis chapter 2, we think about Adam's response. It starts out saying, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God calls the man to rise, the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we take this word. We revere your word today. We believe it has truth for us. And so, God, as we've already said here this morning, we need your Holy Spirit to be the one that is speaking. And so, God, I pray even right now that you would descend upon this place, that you would enter into my lips and my tongue, Lord, and be able to speak not Brent's words, but your words. Would you descend into our hearts today that we might be prepared to hear it? And Lord, maybe most importantly of all, would you be the God who helps us to be people who live it out? Thank you for who you are, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we look at the scripture and we see that Adam's in this kind of state where he's lonely, he doesn't have someone, and so God decides to make Eve. And as you get those words that Adam said there in verse 23, the man said, wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Okay, I didn't literally say wow, but I guarantee you that's what Adam said. And as we think about Adam looking upon this woman, this woman who is going to now be his helpmate, his companion, that was the first wow. But there probably were a lot of wows that came along with it, too. As they built this relationship together, there were a few wows that came just a little bit later, too. It's like, wow, I can't believe we really ate that apple, but we'll leave that story for another time. Uh, so let's think about first. I told you a little bit about my first date. Where did you go on your first date? You don't have to tell about a kiss, but uh, where did you go on your first date? Somebody tell me. Pool party. Pool party. They had pool parties? Yeah, back in the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> I let you say that, not me. But <laughs> Someone else, where did you go on your first date? 
TGI Fridays. What'd you eat? You remember? Uh, I'd stick on stick. <laughs> 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 Someone else. Where'd you go on your first date? We went to a play called Forever Plan. For and then went to Barnes and Noble for coffee. Oh, how nice. Very romantically. Someone else, where'd you go on your first date? Frisch's. Frisch's. I haven't heard of Frisch's in a while. Where, where is this Frisch's at? In Anderson? Anderson, Indiana. Anderson, Indiana. <laughs> Anyone else? Where'd you go on your first date? We went out on a country road and he taught me how to drive a car. <laughs> oh, we did? <laughs> that sounds like an interesting first date. We have memories of those things. Why? Because they were special. Because they're really special. All the butterflies that come with it, those, I, I believe there's something biological where those kind of the memories get lodged into uh, our brains and now we're able to recall them as we think back to kind of those first that we had. They're, they're just special things that we hold on to dearly. Now, it may not just be the first date or even the first kiss, but some of us remember back to a wedding day, for instance. We remember how special that was when we look back and we think about if we're, you know, a man seeing our, seeing our bride walk down the aisle. There's something special, and, and I've I, I stood there, I don't know, probably 200 times, and I've seen, you know, grooms having their knees shake, and, um, but this just huge smile comes across their face when they see they're about to be wife walking in. There's specialness there. There's something just awesome. There's something wonderful about all the butterflies that come with a first like that. Some of you have had children. And you know how awesome it is to have children. They're all special. I don't want to say they're not. But there's something different about going through it the first time. And so when you are able to be there and, and the, you have the baby and the baby comes out and there's something wrapped up, you spent nine months, you know, pondering that particular moment in time and, and there's something wonderful and awesome but scary. It's scary, particularly the first time as you're going through it, wondering, is everything going to be okay? How does this, all this work? And, and you can watch all the videos and go to all the Lamaze classes you want. It's nothing like being there for the very first time. But in the midst of it, when that baby cries, how awesome and once again special that really, really is. And then as we think about special times, one last thing I want to mention is a special time when you first said yes to Jesus. When you first said, I'm not going to continue to do my own thing, I recognize that I can't continue to go on living just for me anymore. I need Jesus. And if you've had that experience, you've had that first time, there was something awesome and wonderful about it. And some of you may be able to recall that and recall the feelings that you were going through at that time. Maybe if you don't necessarily recall that, some of you can re uh, recall the expression of that to other people, which we call baptism. 
And you can remember the time or the place that you were baptized. Was it, what you, I, I love Tulsa history, and I love kind of our, the history of our sister churches together. Um, was anybody baptized either at Fifth and Madison uh, Church of God or at Third uh, and Trenton? Anybody here baptized at either of those places? You or Lee? Which one? Third and Trenton, Okay. Oh, the 5th of Madison. That, that's not there anymore, but this church, uh, there's a place that 3rd and Trenton used to be called the, uh, uh, after the Church of God left there, it became the church studio, I think. Um, and so the building's still there. It's an awesome building, and I'll sit at the diner every so often across the street from there and just think about um, things that happened in that place because God was at work there. There were lots of baptisms that took place in that particular building. I think back to my own baptism. It was in a church in Omaha. Actually, it wasn't even my congregation. We didn't have a baptistry, but I can still remember being about 11 years old, going into this church I didn't know anything about, walking into that pool, and just thinking how awesome it was that I was letting everybody know that Jesus has come into my heart. It's a time I'll never forget. Hopefully, you have baptismal times like that, too. It's amazing, in a baptismal time, that what really is taking place, yes, you are letting people know you've made this decision, but there's, there's great joy and peace by virtually everybody who goes through a baptism. And the interesting part of it, it's great joy and peace while this person is saying, I'm going to come and submit my life to Jesus. The world, once again, hears that. And they think about this relationship that you're just really starting out on, and they say, well, submit? Why would you have joy and peace if you're just going to lay down and submit, whether it be to Jesus or these other uh, kinds of friends maybe you have or your spouse? How can there be joy and peace in that? The first come along, and they're awesome that we've been talking about. But what really needs to happen is we need to go the long haul in our relationship with God, in our relationship with our friends, in our relationship with churches, in our relationship ultimately with our spouse, too. And so today, as we think about this idea of submission and going the long haul, if you do have your Bibles now, turn to the book of Ephesians, or you can look up on the screen as well. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 28. The word of the Lord comes to us once again, and it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, before I read any more, because some of you might want to take some issue as I read along here, I want you to hear this again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, but that, my wife's supposed to do this. My husband's supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we can go on. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. As we look at these particular words, they're all bound up in this concept of submission. And it's not just submission for a time. If you are married today, you probably got up and in your vows somewhere along the way, or maybe the preacher said it somewhere within that particular sermon, those words, until death do you part. Submission's meant to be for the long haul. My son and I had a chance to uh, go to Germany this uh, past winter, and while we were there, we were learning about the different political parties, and we were happened to be in Munich uh, talking about these different parties, and, and one of the, the political parties uh, was pushing, or had pushed, it was, uh, this had taken place a number of years ago, but had pushed this concept, and then actually had introduced a bill to this effect, that marriage was going to be a seven year contract. And then what you would do is you would determine after seven years, did you want to keep going and you would re-up the contract. <laughs> now, these are people who had felt like, you know, in this seven year contract, that's not a bad idea and it causes people, and I, hear me clearly, and those who are listening here, don't just take a snippet of this. I can see a bit of value saying every seven years, let's keep this going. To actually have a chance to talk about that. But marriage is not a seven-year contract. We can't sit here and say, well, I think I'm going to do seven years here, and maybe we'll re-up, and hopefully it'll be good. But if we don't, you know what? We'll just decide to go our own ways and enter into some other seven-year contract. Marriage is until death do us part. And the only way I believe you can make it to the end is through mutual submission. Now, as we think about going the long haul, as we think about this issue of how do we go about loving and submitting to one another, there's some myths in our culture that develop. Because what we have taken, not just in marriage, but frankly in a whole lot of relationships, we have made relationships become very, very shallow. There's not a depth often within our relationships these days. We talk about shallow things. We're involved in shallow things. We don't get into the meat of what living, especially godly living, is really all about. And so I've put in your outlines, some of you, if you see some outlines uh, spread throughout here, there's some myths, I think, that we have in our culture that we need to combat. One of them is that there is someone out there that can meet our deepest needs. 
There's a movie that came out a number of years ago, ago called Jerry Maguire. I think Tom Cruise was, was in it, and I don't remember who the gal was, but uh, it, was a, it was kind of a sports movie. Jerry Maguire was a sports agent, and he got it all involved in all the sports and the money angles and all that came with it. But he ultimately had this gal grab his heart. And there's one part of the movie where they're in this room with all these other folks and Jerry Maguire's on one side and this gal's on the other side and he yells out to her, You complete me. And everybody goes, swoons, and they're just like feeling awesome about that. <gasps> That's a myth. That idea that that other person completely completes you. Now, there's something good about that. I mean, obviously, we read the Adam and Eve story where, where Adam and Eve come together, and it's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's something unique about that coming together, and the two become one. I'm not dismissing that. But what I am dismissing is this idea that that other person completes everything that we have needed completed in us. That's not true. Because even in a marriage, you are not fully completed as a person of God. It is only God that can come and complete us. That other person compliments us. That other person comes alongside. That other person does become bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But ultimately, we're only completed by the Lord himself. And we must never forget that. Because here's the problem. When we think that other person completes us, we're going to get to a point in our relationship where we find out that person's not really completing me. That person is not really helping me through this particular issue. Maybe I'm not finding everything I thought I might find in this person. And so this myth that develops then begins to cause us to think, well, maybe there's somebody else that will complete me. And then we begin to move on thinking about that other. That's a myth. There's a second myth, I think, that we have when we start to talk about relationships. And it's a myth that says, I have to feel in love in order to love. We sometimes treat love as a feeling. And when I feel in love, everything's great. And when I feel in love, then my relationship must be awesome. And if I don't particularly feel in love, that means my relationship at that particular time must stink. But that's not a reality for couples that go the long distance. There's a sense that sometimes... When we don't feel in love, if we choose to continue to love and choose even to continue to submit, our relationship actually will go, grow stronger during those periods of time. Even if we don't happen to feel it at the time. I want you to think about God himself. I want you to think about you before you met Jesus. Your life and the lives of everybody who's lived in essence had people shaking their hands in God's face. That's called sin. Do you think God felt particularly in love with you when you're shaking your hand in his face 
sinning and doing your own thing and ignoring him? It says we're created in his image. I'm not so sure he necessarily felt in love with us. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus chose to submit himself to the cross and die for us. That, my friends, is love. That, my friends, is submission, even if you don't necessarily feel what we have come to call in love. So maybe you're in your relationship, you say, well, I just don't feel it anymore. I just don't feel in love. Continue to love and submit to the other. And then thirdly, a third myth that we have, and I think it fits with our passage particularly well today, is the myth that relationships are all about my needs. We live in a culture that loves to say that, loves to think that, that it's all about you and your needs. And so the idea that we become engaged and then married to that other person means that that person is now there to fulfill my needs. No, that person isn't there to fulfill your needs. It's not that this marriage thing is all about you. When it comes right down to it, the Bible says something very different to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 once again. It says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. It has this idea of submission being at work. Husbands are to ultimately love in the same kind of way that Jesus loved when he submitted himself to the cross for us. It's this concept of submission. Whether you think the other person deserves your submission or not. You see, that's the hardest Christian part. Is when you submit... But the other person you think in your mind isn't worthy of my submission. Too bad. Put it out of your mind. Say, I'm going to do the godly thing and submit anyway. And maybe, just maybe, as we go the long haul, we will get back to the point where we see that other person as deserving of our submission. You see, when you think about this idea of submit, and some of you have been saying, man, he's already said that word submission like 15 times today. Um, I'm not really into this idea of submitting. I'm not interested in being a, a, just a doormat for somebody to, to walk over. What kind of relationship is built on that? Well, I'm here to tell you no relationship should be built upon being a doormat. I didn't say submission was being, about being a doormat. When the original readers, these people in Ephesus, were hearing the, the words of Paul. Now, again, most of them weren't reading it. Most of them, there probably was about a 5% literacy rate. When Paul wrote this letter, probably somebody got up in front of the congregation, probably smaller than this one, honestly, and heard these words being read to them. And as they heard these words being read to them, they got to that word... It wasn't the literal word submit. That's English. They got to a word that this letter was written in Greek, and it was called hupotasso. And when they heard that word, hupotasso, 
They had two choices. We know looking back in that day, you could take that particular word and you could put one of these choices in there because this is what most people would think when they heard the word hupotasso. Just like when you hear the word submit, you have all different kinds of meanings. They had these two meanings. One, when they heard the word hupotasso, they could think about it in a military sense where you have kind of this pyramid where you have people, you know, you've got generals up on top and then you got people who flow down from there. And hupotasso, the idea of submitting, could be I submit to that person who is of higher rank than I am. And so that is one way that they could look and interpret that particular word in marriage relationships. Oh, Paul's saying... I'm supposed to submit to the other person who's of higher rank, some could say. And sadly, in my opinion, some have said that throughout the years in the church. But there's a second way that those Ephesians could have interpreted that word, hupotasso, that we have translated submission. And it could mean to come under and uplift. Think if I had a giant rock, and I wanted to somehow get that rock, and I was just happened just happen just to be strong enough to lift that rock, I would need to come under, use my legs, and then uplift that rock. When people heard hubotasso, they had that particular choice. Is that what Paul is talking about? I'm here to tell you, as I read through the book of Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul was talking about. When he starts to talk about submission, and you think about submitting to that other particular person, that spouse, your job is to come under and uplift them. And I know we can look and say, well, Paul said, why is you supposed to do that to husbands and everything? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit, come under, and uplift the other in the relationship out of reverence for Christ. If you want to have a godly relationship, you're not going to try and determine whether that person is worthy or not worthy. You're going to submit, come under, and do everything you can to uplift them. So that they might be uplifted to be the man that they're called by God to be. So they might be uplifted to be the woman that they're called by God to be. If you are in the midst of a relationship, then submit, come under, and help that person become the man or woman God wants them to be. It's not optional, friends. It's your task. It's the way you show love. And our relationships would be an awful lot better if we would come under and uplift the other. I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to drive home. As we talk about this passage and we get into, you know, how did Christ love the church? Well, Christ loved the church by coming under and uplifting the church. While we were yet sinners, Christ did that. And so whether you are a wife submitting to your husband, whether you're a husband who's loving your wife as Christ loved the church, in all those cases, come under and uplift that person. 
Now, I said that this is about marriages, and that is what Paul is particularly talking about here in this particular passage. But this goes for all relationships. It even goes for our relationship with the Lord. We're called to uplift the Lord in the way that we live. He's done that for us. It's, it's that way with our relationships with our co-workers or our friends. Our task is to try and come under and uplift them. And so as you think about this idea of relationships and submission, I got one question for you. How's it going? Really, how's it going? And some of you might say, well, I'm not married. And you've got relationships. I want you to think about one particular person. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend, co-worker. How's it going with that particular person? And when you begin to think of them in your mind, no one's going to get inside of your mind. I'm not going to force you to say anything. Don't put on your Sunday face and think, well, it's, it's, everything's great. Everything's awesome. When you begin to think about how's it going, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I may be hurting, but I'm just going to go through life showing everybody, maybe even including my spouse, that everything is okay. Don't do it. You can only really submit and love the other person when there's honesty. You see, there's some of you here today that everything started off really well. You had some awesome firsts. You had an awesome first date, and maybe your wedding was great, and, and, uh, and maybe that relationship with that friend just started out, and you were just buddies, you were just kind of united, but now it's not so good anymore. If that's where you are today, you need to be honest with that. And as we think about this kind of honesty, the next question is, what are you going to do about it? Really? What are you going to do about it? Because you could just ignore it. It's not the godly thing to do. But what are you going to do about that particular relationship? And as we close, I just want to be able to say, here's a couple things for us to think about. First, when you think about that particular special relationship, you need to begin to pray about it. Sometimes what ends up happening is we begin to build these walls. The last thing we want to do is submit to the other person. And also we say, I don't even want to pray about this. I'm just so frustrated. And often what we end up doing is just try and live our lives outside of that person's purview. But the reality is, it all starts with being the kind of person who says, God, I bring this other to you. And not only do I bring the other, maybe even more importantly, I bring myself. Would you help me to come under and uplift? And as you begin to think about this word submission, you might not have thought you'd walk in here today and hopefully you'll walk out of here saying, I am going to submit to that other but hopefully you'll make a decision to be able to say, no matter what's happening in the relationship, I choose today to submit to the other. I don't choose to be walked all over. But I choose to try and make that relationship the best it possibly can be by not uplifting myself, 
but uplifting the other. And then finally, there's one last thing. You have to do it. You have to leave this place and do it. I love the book of James because James is always just so straightforward. And he talks about, you know, the, as, we, as we read the scriptures and we see them, it's one thing to read them, it's one thing to hear them, but you have to go do it. And in fact, James says these words even a, bit, a little bit later on in his book. He says, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, for you that is sin. And so if you come in here today, and you say, well, yeah, I've heard you, Pastor Brent, talk about this, but, you know, I'm just not really into that submission thing. I know that's what God says, and I, I know that's what, but I'm just not at a point where I'm going to do that. And I'm here to tell you, point blank, you're walking out of this place choosing to sin. Because if you know that is what God wants you to do, and you choose not to do it, for you and for me, that is sin. And God wants something so much better. He wants relationships that can be put back together. He wants relationships that can be restored. He wants relationships to be the absolute best. And you only get there if you choose to submit to the other.